to approve church planners, and Ernie was approved this week, so he's all green lights. They're actually meeting up the street in 164 on Saturdays at 5, and their target area is kind of the uh, East Cobb, kind of Johnson's Ferry, Roswell Road area. There's no churches over there, nothing big on Johnson's Ferry at all. That's kind of the area that they're looking at, so uh, y'all can... uh, if you're if you live in that area, I think, or if you're just feel called to plant a church or to participate in that, I encourage you to come by. Uh, five o'clock so five o'clock on Saturdays, they meet up the road. They have a time of I think they eat dinner and kind of get to know one another, and then they do a, a worship service. You can you can see me if you have any questions about that. And also want to echo Al on uh, thanks for all of you who participated financially last year. We don't I don't talk a ton about money, but I really do appreciate y'all's uh, faithfulness to give. And if you have any questions, please ask. That was a very broad overview. If you have more specifics that you would like to know, please ask Brandon, Al, or Peter. Uh, two other things. Worship auditions. February 15th, we're going to start auditions for the worship team. It looks like we need help in lots of areas. Sunday morning, students, Common Ground, that's our family service, Intersect, uh, and instrumentally, drums, electric guitar, keyboard, Hand percussion, I found out that is um, djembe and congas. That's not clapping or triangles or any. We actually don't clap very well, so we might need a uh, clap person. Female vocals and all other instruments and male vocalists can audition as well. So this is what I'm asking slash saying. If you feel like you've got gifts and talents in any of those areas musically, sign up. An audition. However, you cannot, I'm saying, you cannot audition if you if not making it is going to cause you to get your feelings hurt and you're going to leave. You're laughing, it's it happens. <laughs> so if you're if it's gonna get you all bent out of shape, if if you feel like you need to be right here on Sunday morning and they ask you to do something else, then I would just say don't let's not even go down that road because just relationally that's too difficult on everybody. So we want you to audition if you've got gifts. We want you to use those. We absolutely can use the help, but we don't want to feel like we're getting into some kind of relational landmine, you know, with anybody uh, if you don't get where you feel like you need to be. So that's that. You can see Bo if you have any questions. Uh, I mentioned earlier we're, we're part of a network of churches, Riverstone, Vintage, 242, and Awakening. First weekend in March, we're going to have a conference with them. It's a Friday night. Saturday morning, Saturday night at Riverstone, and then Sunday morning we're doing all four churches all in together at Mount Perrin Christian School Gym. So we'll have one worship service that Sunday morning. There'll be more details on that. I um, just wanted you to go ahead and put that on your calendar. So we've been in 1 Corinthians 7. The whole chapter is about marriage. Paul addresses multiple groups uh, surrounding marriage. The Corinthians have written him asking him some questions that we don't know what those questions were. And Paul is responding, and his response is basically the same to every group. He says, stay or remain in the situation that you're in when you became a Christian. There's no reason to change things. So he says, if you're married, then you need to act married. You don't want to be celibate within your marriage. If you're divorced, you need to stay single unless you reconcile to your husband. If you're a widow or a widower, stay single. You don't need to remarry. It's this idea, again, of remaining in the situation that you're in, not changing everything. Uh, just because you become a Christian. We looked at that last week. There's one group left, and that's who Paul addresses, and that's who we're going to look at today uh, in verses 25 through 40. It's engaged uh, people. I think we have we have four people who are engaged. Y'all, 
Who else is engaged? Jonathan and Jacqueline? Jay? Nice. So this is just for you five. The rest of you? I'm just going to look over here. I think there's, we will look at the engaged piece, and then there's some, I think there's something else that we can pull out for all of us. So this is starting in verse 25. He says, now about virgins. I'm actually not going to use that word again. Uh, I'm going to use fiancé because I just don't want to say that again. Um, so Paul is addressing the men in this setting because the men are the ones who could take actions. And so he's saying to them, now about your fiancés, I have no, it's what it means. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it's good for you to remain as you are. Again, there's that idea. Stay how you are. Are you married? Don't seek a divorce. Are you not married? Don't look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if your fiance marries, neither has she. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. Is somebody amening the many troubles in this life? (laughs) Y'all can call Kim. She'll set up an appointment for you to come see me this week. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he's acting improperly toward his fiancée, uh, and if she's getting along in years, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who uh, has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry his fiancée, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries his fiancée does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. And now he addresses the um, women. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I, too, have the spirit of God. So this idea is remain as you are. And he's saying to these people who are engaged, well, what does it look like to remain as you are if you're engaged? Does that look like you stay single? Or does that look like you follow the engagement process all the way through and become married? And so that's what he is addressing. He says, I don't have a command on this. This is my opinion. And he's speaking to them as their pastor. And what he says, in summary, is you decide. You pick. You can choose whether to follow through with the engagement or you can choose to break it. As your pastor, I think it's better if you stay single. But the decision is yours. You're not sinning either way. And he gives four reasons for his uh, advice. He says, the present crisis, he, he refers to that. We don't know what he was talking about. We don't know what was going on in Corinth at the time. What most people say was just probably just this general suffering and persecution tied to being a Christian in that city. So because of that, he's saying there's a, this present crisis, and he talks about these troubles that you're going to have if you get married. Most likely those are parallel statements. And what he's saying is it's difficult enough on you as it is. 
It's hard enough to follow Christ in this city that you're living in. You're under a lot of pressure. You're under a lot of stress. Why would you want to add to that by getting married? Why, why would you want to increase the burden upon yourself by adding a spouse to the mix? It's better just to stay single than it is to, to get married under these present circumstances. He gives a couple of more reasons. He says the time is short. With that, he is looking forward to Jesus returning. Paul did not think Jesus was coming back the next day or the next week. Uh, what he meant was the decisive events in history or Jesus' death and resurrection. Those things have already happened. So in, in a real sense, Jesus can come back at any moment. And even if he doesn't, we know that the end is coming. That, again, these decisive events in history have already occurred. And so that the age to come is breaking into our present age. This age that we live in is is ending. He says the world as we know it, it's all passing away. So don't make your decisions based on a world order that is dying, that is fading, that is going away. That doesn't make sense. Don't allow a, uh, a world order, again, that's fading away to determine your values and the way you choose to live your life. So the time is short. And then finally, he says, just again, as their pastor, I want you to be free from concern. Maybe another way of looking at that is, is, is he speaking about what do you care for? And he's saying if you're single, your care is undivided. You care only for Jesus, theoretically. If you're married, your care for is divided. You care for your spouse, which you're supposed to, and you care for the Lord, which you're supposed to. So whereas a single person, if they have 18 cares, they all get care fors, they all get to go to Jesus. If you're married, some of those 18 go to your spouse and some go to him, and so you're divided. And he says, I think it's better for you to be focused singularly on him. Now, there have been streams in the church that have taken this to say being single is a higher calling than being married, that it's more spiritual and that marriage is some kind of a second-rate existence. That's not what Paul is saying. If you look in Ephesians 5, he has a very high view of marriage. He equates the husband-wife relationship to the relationship between Jesus and the church. That's not what he's saying at all. He's just giving, again, his opinion as a pastor based on this local situation, which we don't know. All of this stuff is going on, and what he's saying to them is, I think it'd be better if you stayed single so you don't add more concern, more trouble to yourself than you're already experiencing. So I think the takeaways for us are pretty simple. If you're engaged, you five, and those of you who may be engaged in the future or your children will be engaged, I think it's just it's a reminder to us that being engaged and being married aren't the same thing. You can't bail on your marriage, but you can break an engagement. And oftentimes, it's the momentum of the wedding that pushes people to stay in, and that's no reason to stay in. It's this fear of embarrassing, really, their family even more than themselves. And what we want to do as parents, as friends, is, is we don't want to put that on anyone. What Paul says is if you've settled this in your own heart, if you're not being forced from the outside, if nobody is manipulating you, nobody is pressuring you. He gives four conditions in that last paragraph, and he says to the guys, he's basically saying, if this is your call, if you've settled this in your own heart, then you can break the engagement, and it's fine. It's fine if you get married, and it's fine if you don't. I'm not judging between those two at all, and that's the uh, approach that we want to have as well. So that's on the engaged piece. I think for the rest of us, we say, well, what does that mean for us? The thing that I pull out is this idea of allowing the end with a capital E to affect what we do today. What Paul, when Paul gives these five pictures, uh, he says, 
You know, if you're married, those who have wives live, live as if they don't. Those who are mourn as if they didn't. Those who are happy as if they weren't. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use things as if not engrossed in them. He's not saying detach from the world and go be a monk. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is as you engage in these earthly, for lack of a better word, activities, don't allow the value system behind them to dictate your life. You can see in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15, we're not going to look at that, similar situation. People were saying, well, because Jesus is coming back, we don't have to work. They're basically, it looks like they were just sitting on their roofs waiting on Jesus to come back and take them home. And what Paul said is, get a job. That's that famous verse, if you don't work, you don't eat. It's in that section because he's saying to them, just, yes, Jesus is coming back. Yes, this world that we live in is going to fade away. It's going to end. But that doesn't mean you get to pull out and just sit there and wait. And he's saying the same thing to the Corinthians, and he says the same thing to us. We want our lives to be formed and shaped by the reality that Jesus is returning and by the reality that this world that we're living in is fading away. Yes, we want our lives to be formed and shaped by that. That doesn't mean that we withdraw completely from life. So what does that look like for us? How do we engage this life that we all have informed by the fact that Jesus is returning, uh, informed by the fact that this present age is fading away, this age to come is working back into our life? Revelation gets really weird at chapter 4. The first three chapters are pretty straightforward. Jesus is writing letters to seven historical churches. And I think one of those letters could be written to us here in Marietta, in Cobb County. It's starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That's just a fancy way of saying Jesus. So these are the words of Jesus. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So to me, what's going on there, or uh, let me back up. So I think this letter could be written to us here in Marietta. There's this push, you see it in Laodicea, I think where we live, there's this push towards independent, self-sufficient living. We work God in around the edges. People ask you how you're doing. You're fi- I do it. I'm fine. I'm always fine. I've never not been fine, ever. And you're, you may be the same. It doesn't matter what. I'm always fine. That's what we say. It, it can affect our relationships. Our relationships don't necessarily get down to a real depth because we handle all of this stuff down here. All we're going to let anybody see is surface level things, that we're fine, that we're good, that we have things together, that everything's under control, that we've got it. it again, it, this independent, self-sufficient living, and it's, it's floating in the air. Like we, That's what you breathe every day that you live in this city 
and in this county. It might be the same all across the U.S. I don't know. I just know here that's one of the values where we live. And it's easy for that value, even as Christians, for that to dictate the way we live our lives. Again, because it's so um, prevalent. We don't even notice it. We don't consciously think I'm living an independent, self-sufficient life. But that's the direction that we're pushed. If there's a conveyor belt that we're all on, that's the direction that it's taking all of us. And it moves so slow, we can't, we don't even recognize that we're moving in that direction. That's what's going on here in Laodicea. It's the same issue with their church. Jesus says to them, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. That doesn't have anything to do with spiritual passion or their spiritual temperature. Jesus says, I know your deeds. He's talking about what they're doing. They're spiritually useless. Laodicea was a city that didn't, um, they didn't have their own water source. They had to pipe their water in from about five miles north, a town called Hierapolis, H-I-E-R-P-O-L-I-S. And the water there was hot, and that town was known for having these hot springs that were good for medicinal reasons. And so over the five miles that that water came down, the aqueducts or whatever, it got cold. It, It went from hot to lukewarm, and honestly, it had a lot of lime in it, and it tasted bad. And so that's why Jesus says, you're not hot. I can't use your... I can't use you that way. South of Laodicea was a town called Colossae, and their springs were known for being pure and cold and clean and refreshing. And Jesus says, y'all aren't cold either. The water here, it's not warm enough to use for medical reasons, and it's not cold enough to use for refreshment purposes. So I'm going to spit it out. It's lukewarm. You're useless to me. That's harsh. You're useless. The stuff that you're doing, it's not paying any benefit to Jesus. And then he starts listing these things that they need to do. You need to buy this stuff, buy gold and buy clothes and buy salve for your eyes. And why is he talking about those things? Laodicea was a rich city. They had three major industries. One, they had a huge banking industry. It brought money into the city. They had a textile industry that brought money into the city. And there was a medical school there that produced this stuff that you put on your eyes that was exported around the world that brought money into the city. They were banking on the, against this kind of independent, self-sufficient view. We're rich. Look, we're rich. Look at all of the things that are great about our city and all the things that are great about us. We've got this banking deal going. We've got this textile thing going, and we have a medical school. We have all of these things happening. We have all of this money flowing into our city. We're blessed. This is good. Look at what we're doing. And what Jesus says is, uh, you think you're rich. What I see Naked, wretched, poor, blind. Not good at all. And what he tells them to do, he hits each one of their areas of supposed strength. You say you're rich. I say go buy real gold. You you produce clothes for everybody. I'm telling you, you need to buy some clothes from me to cover your nakedness. You export this eye ointment that helps everyone. And what I'm saying to you is you need some from me to put on your eyes so you can actually see Clearly, he's undercutting this sense of independence and self-sufficiency that they have as a city. It's not that he's trying to take them down a few notches. They're too big for their britches or anything. He's trying to get them to see a completely different way of viewing themselves. They're totally wrong. Again, it's not just a little bit of arrogance here or there. They completely misunderstand who they are before the Lord. And I think the same thing can happen to us here. For us, it's probably not banking and textiles and a medical school. A lot, for us, a lot of times, it's our 
family history or it's our uh, relational network or it's our reputation or it's our gifts or it's our ability to get things done. It's these things that we build our life on. And ultimately, sometimes we work to protect, but that's what props us up. That's where we get our sense of worth, and that's where we get our sense of value. And again, it's those things that when we're squeezed, that's what we try to protect. Well, I can't lose that. I've got to cover that thing up. This is because it's what we have. And what Jesus would say to us is, mm, that's no, that's not solid. You can't build your life based on that. So here's a picture for you. Um, for a lot of us, Thank y'all. I only have one hand. So so for a lot of us, this is our life. You don't get thank you. It's like this paper plate. And then we just start putting stuff. And we don't put stuff on. It's just life happens. These are fajitas. Um, you're welcome to them after if you want. It's I have my job and all of the things that come with that. And then I have my family. I have a wife. I have four kids. I'm supposed to take my wife out once a week. That's what people tell me. Whoa. I'm losing it. Grab. And that's what happens. You know, and so we have this stuff, and I've got kids, and I'm supposed to coach soccer, and, and then we have the extracurricular things, PTA, and all of those type of things that we do. At some point, I'm supposed to go to sleep, and then we add the spiritual stuff. You know, I'm supposed to wake up early and pray. I've got, let me get a little God on top. Perfect. Just like that. Sprinkle a little hymn on the top, and this is what my life looks like, and it's full of stuff, and this is what you're like. Yours, some of y'all have much fuller plates than me, and this is what you have, and at some point, you realize, mm, I can't, it's starting to slip. It's starting to leak through, and so then we get into time management mode. I need to simplify. I need better boundaries. I need to learn how to say no. I need to be more efficient. I need to sleep less. I need more five-hour energy. Whatever it is that you do to maximize your time that's what we do we think that the issue is that our plate is too full and that's not the issue at all the issue is our plate is too flimsy that's the problem we need a different plate like that and that's what jesus says in hebrews 1 3 i uphold everything by my powerful word in colossians 1 17 he says i hold everything together all of it some of you are tired, not because you have too many things to do, but because you're trying to do God's job. You're trying to uphold everything, or you're trying to hold all things together. It's independent, self-sufficient living. You're not doing it on purpose. You're not rebelling against God intentionally. It's where we live. Again, it's the conveyor belt. That's the direction that it takes us is do it on your own. Do it in your own strength. You've got gifts, you've got talents, you've been to school, you're educated. You can figure this stuff out. And you start looking around and you look at other people and say, they've got it figured out and they've got it figured out and they've got it figured out and they've got it figured out. So there's something wrong with me because I don't have it figured out. And so then you just work even harder. Let me simplify more, let me prioritize more, let me, let me get in shape and then I'll have more energy to do these things. And we just, the, again, the issue is not how much stuff is on our plate. It's our plate is not strong enough to hold up our life because it's not meant to. Jesus upholds everything, not us. I don't even uphold myself, much less anything else. I fool myself into thinking I uphold my wife and my kids and this church. You know, I don't. I don't. And you don't. Whatever it is that you're feeling the weight for, you're fooling yourself 
if you think you hold those things up. That's not your job. Your job is to be faithful in the midst of that. The solution is at the end of that chapter 3 where Jesus says, he says, buy all this stuff. How am I supposed to buy stuff from him? He doesn't take my money. I don't know where the store is. Where am I supposed to get these things that he's saying I'm supposed to buy? I'm standing at the door and knocking. If you'll open it, I'll come in and you'll eat with me and I'll eat with you. That's the picture that he wants these Laodiceans to see. It's not about all the things that y'all are doing for, he's saying to them. It's not about all the stuff you're doing for me. It's not about how rich you are. It's not about these great industries that you have. None of that. All of that's garbage. I'm spitting it out of my mouth. It's not useful to me because you're doing it in your own strength. What I'm looking for is for you to invite me in. If you'll invite me in, then everything changes. And that's what he's saying to us as well. Most of you in the room are Christians. But for you, God, is just, he's led us on top. He's one more responsibility. So instead of getting up at 6, now you've got to get up at 5.30 because you've got to have your quiet time beforehand. It's just one more obligation. It's one more burden. That's not what he's going for at all. What he's saying, invite me into every area. For some of you, your quiet time is actually a curse, if I can say that, because you, you spend 30 minutes with him, and then at 6 o'clock, you're done, and you just do your day on your own. And then you come back again at 5.30 the next morning, and you're, you're there every, every 5.30, you're there. But what happens in the 5.30 to 6 doesn't necessarily affect you from 6 until the next 5.30. It's just one more thing that you've checked off your list. And I, would, and I, I'm, I say this humbly. I think God would rather say ditch the quiet time and invite me in throughout the day if he had to choose between the two. If, if, if his choices with you or his choices with me are, I'm going to get you for 15 minutes or 30 minutes in the morning, or you're going to include me throughout the day, I'll take option B every time. That's what it looks like for him to uphold us. Otherwise, all I've done again is I've created another thing on my plate, and maybe I've moved some other stuff around, that's, but I'm still holding everything together. He's saying, I'm, I'm standing at the door of your business and knocking. Will you let me in? I'm standing at the door of your marriage and knocking. Will you let me in? I'm standing at the door of your parenting. Will you let me in? I'm standing at the door of your free time. Will you let me in? I'm standing at the door of your finances. Will you let me in? Whatever it is that's weighing down, he's standing at the door of that knocking saying, will you let me in? And if we'll let him in, our circumstances might not change a lick. Nothing may be different for you Monday through Friday. You still have just as many things to do as you did last week. The difference, though, is it's in here. There's more peace. There's more joy. I don't feel the pressure to make everything happen. I don't feel the pressure that if somehow I'm off today, the whole world is going to come crashing down. I don't feel like it's my job to make sure everything else is running smoothly. It's not that I don't care about those other things. I just recognize what my responsibility is versus his responsibility. I can remember, you can memorize Hebrews 1.3. It's just that little part. Jesus upholds all things by his powerful word. I can remember that. And when I feel like whatever it is is crashing down, Jesus upholds, things all, all, upholds all things by his powerful word. So Jesus, please enter into this situation. I'll do whatever you ask me to. I'll do my best to be faithful, but I need you to enter in 
to this situation. It's a bumper sticker, Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But those are the only two ways to live. You either live by your might and your power, or you live by his spirit. There are no other choices. Some of you are mighty and you're powerful, and you can go a long way by your willpower, your discipline, your own strengths, all of those things. But eventually, there are, you're a paper plate just like I am, and, and life is going to break through. Or I can make a choice now to say, you know what, I'm going to live by his spirit. I'm going to invite him in to each of these areas of my life. Again, not necessarily looking for the circumstances to change, but looking for my perspective on those things to be different. I don't uphold anything. He upholds everything. Let's pray. We're going to close with baptism. So uh, instead of having people come forward for ministry, I just want you to slip your hand up if, and we'll pray for you. If, that, if you feel like that's you, you're the paper plate, things are starting to slip and uh, bust through, if you just slip your hand up, I just want to pray for you from the front. Perfect. Thank you all. If you didn't raise your hand, you can just start praying for those who did in your heart. God, my prayer for every, for all of us, but particularly for those whose hands went up, who feel like it's they're they're upholding everything, and stuff is getting piling on, piled on, and it's starting to, it's starting to break through. That right now, in this moment, they would say. I'm going to choose your spirit versus my might and my power. That they would hear you knocking at that area of their life. Then they would open the door and say, please, come in. It's interesting that you say you're going to come in and eat with us, not fix things. The invitation is to a deeper level of relationship with you. You're not a consultant who tells us what to do you're a father and you're a teacher and you're a friend who spends time with us and that's my desire for those whose hands went up focus would shift from fixing to being with you and in that God joy and peace would fill their hearts God even if tomorrow looks even hairier than last Monday, there'd be a deeper sense of freedom in their hearts because they would recognize you're the one who holds everything together, that you're the one that upholds all of these areas of life. God, if there are any areas of confusion, fogginess, Lord, we pray that you would speak clearly in those areas. Show your children, Father, where they're supposed to go. And God, for all of us, we don't want to allow the values and um, the values of our city to determine how we live. We want our values to be shaped by the fact that your kingdom is coming and that the king is coming as well. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Courtney Morrison. Here he is. Is being baptized today. Great. So this is what I need from y'all. There on the outside aisles, there should be note cards under the last chair. I need you to grab one and pass it down. 
And I want you to write Courtney's name at the top of it. <coughs> at Jesus' baptism, we read these words from the Father to him. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And we believe God wants to speak to Courtney today as well. And he wants to speak through our body. You don't have to know him. But in a minute, uh, we're going to baptize him and then we're going to pray for him. And while we're praying for him, I want you listening to God and just saying, God, what, what's a word of encouragement that you want me, that you want to give to Courtney through me today? It may be a Bible verse. It might be three words. It might be a sentence, you know, something like that. Maybe you draw a picture if that's how God speaks to you. Just, you just want to write those things down. And then there's a basket um, on the counter on the way out. You can just drop those cards in the basket and we'll make sure that Courtney gets those. So again, it doesn't matter whether or not you know Courtney. It doesn't matter whether or not you're a member of this church. God speaks through the body. Uh, to the body, and we want to make sure that everything God wants to say to Courtney today um, gets said. So, Courtney, I have three questions for you, and then we will. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? I do. This one's long. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, who rose again on the third day, and ascended to the right hand of God, from which he'll come back again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Perfect. Who's helping? Nathan? Why don't you tell us why you want to be baptized today? Uh, thank you guys for coming um, coming to participate. I appreciate that. Uh, my buddy Nathan over here, all the way in from Brooklyn, so it's pretty huge. Um, so there's basically two reasons that I have not been baptized to this point. Uh, the first is that I could always find fault in myself and in the circumstances. Um, but that, you know, if this happened or that happened, then then I would do it. But that largely ignores the um, grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. Um, and he is perfect, and um, his circumstances are perfect. His timing is perfect. Uh, the second is that I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and I always like to joke that, you know, going down front while the congregation sings just as I am was scary. But at the last uh, baptism service, uh, I started to think about that a little more introspectively, and I realized that there was actually some fear there that was holding me back. Um, and so this is really my public statement of refusal to be paralyzed by that fear. Can I get an amen? together today, Lord, and um, we thank you for Courtney, Lord. Um, I know there's there's so many people in this room right now whose lives he's been a part of and touched, Lord, and um, we thank you for his public declaration of your presence in his life, Lord. Um, I was thinking during the message about what better and more appropriate response um, than this public act of Courtney's declaration of, of your presence in his life, Lord, um, and it's such a reminder to us all to live our lives every day um, as as a manifestation of of your presence, Lord, um, and we thank you for Courtney, Lord. We know you have your hand on his life, Lord, and that you're going to do mighty things through him, um, and Lord, we bless him and affirm him and just thank you for this decision that he's made today. 
Courtney, I know you're a big um, design guy, and I've been thinking about that word and kind of the thread that runs throughout the Bible that God has designed us. He's formed us, knit us together in our mother's womb. He did that for you, that God's also designed a life for us to live, and those two things fit together, and that's the same for you. He's got good things for you to walk in. He has a life that he's designed just for you. And so, God, that's my prayer for Courtney, is that he would fully live out the design um, that you have for him personally and that the design that you have for him vocationally. God, I pray that in everything that he does, he would feel like this this fits. God, you'd have that sense of your pleasure over him when he's doing the things that you created him to do. God, I pray as he pushes forward professionally that you would show him how to use the skills and the gifts that you've given him to benefit others. I know that's in his heart. And God, I pray you continue to unlock that vision for him, that you would open doors for him in this world of architecture, who he needs to meet, how all of that needs to play out so he can use these gifts and these skills to your glory and to benefit um, maybe those who don't normally benefit from those services. God, my prayer for him is that even as this water was poured on his head, that your spirit was poured in his heart, full, deep, rich, every good thing that you have for Courtney, God, we say yes to. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can stand. I'm going to pray, and then you guys are free to go. God, we do thank you that even as you, you know, we everybody wrote these words for Courtney, and this is what you want to say to him. God, you want to speak to us every day. You want to speak to us about us. You want to speak to us about people we're in relationship with. You even want to speak to us about strangers. And God, I pray you give us ears to hear what you're saying, that we would not be so busy trying to hold our own lives together, that we miss the purpose in each and every day that you have for us. God, I pray when we put our heads down every night to go to sleep, we can look back and say, I saw God's fingerprints here. I heard whispers from God here. Lord, that we would know this reality of living in a dependent relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.